Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Fill me up, fill me up, buttercup, baby, just to let me down. Mess me around, and the worst of all, worst of all. You never call, baby, when you say you will. Say you will, but I love you still. I need you, I need you, more than anyone, darling. You know that I have from the start. So build me up, build me up, buttercup. Don't break my heart. Heart. Not bad. This is the first time singing from across the room, so yeah, I'm going to blame it on that. <laughs> yeah, if you ever catch me or Josh looking away from the camera, it's because we're actually just looking at each other. <laughs> What's up, everybody? You are watching Slash Listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Josh is in uh, the steam vents today. I'm somewhere on... Uh, Acoria, Acoria, yeah, yeah, in a nice nice triome of sorts. Uh, today, uh, welcome to 2021. This is our second episode of the year, but today we are actually going to be revisiting... One of our very first episodes. In fact, it was our very first episode. Yeah, we did our first episode. It was called Commander 101. And that was, hold on to something, Jimmy, over six years ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, so in that wow. time, EDH has grown. It's changed. It Back then, it was like a small fringe format that some <laughs> people played. And now it is the most popular way to play Magic. Yeah, as confirmed by Watsi and numerous articles now, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, so we figured it was probably time to revisit this topic. Yeah, uh, so much really has changed, especially with Commander Legends of the Year that we just had. So this episode today is focused on people who are joining the format. Uh, so you may be a brand new player. Maybe your friend listens to the podcast and says, hey, you have to listen to this episode if you want to find out all about deck building and how to get into the format. Or even if you're a seasoned veteran, I think there's some there's going to be something in here to, for everyone. Yeah, I think if you're a seasoned veteran and there's a lot of new people coming to the format because it is so popular now and you're maybe looking for ways to sort of shepherd those new players mm, in, right. hopefully this will be an episode that you can point to. Yeah. Or and maybe get some tips from and just use yourself. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of fun stuff in here. But before we get into it, six years later, one thing has changed. We are brought to you by cardkingdom.com slash command zone. We're going to be talking about building decks and creating car- uh, creating your own creations, expressing your personality through magic. And what better way to do that than just by buying magic cards? Because that's where you have to start. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. That's our affiliate link. If you use that link, every single purchase you make goes towards helping this podcast out, but also goes towards helping you make your deck, improve your deck, bring someone else into the format. Uh, so it's just basically a win-win overall. Yeah, Card Kingdom is the best. And right now, I believe you can start pre-ordering Kaldheim already. Uh, We've seen some of the previews come through already, and it looks super sweet. So if you want to get your hands on that, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. And then once you have all those cards, you want to protect them. You know, magic cards are valuable. You don't want them to Mm -hmm. get messed up, dinged up, scuffed up, anything like that. The best way to protect all of your game pieces is with Ultra Pro products. They make the sleeves, the deck boxes, the play mats, everything you need to keep all your stuff safe, and not only safe, but looking awesome. Ultra Pro really is the stuff 
stuff that Jimmy and I trust our own collections with and really does make sure that none of your cards are going to get damaged. Yeah, I collect playmats, and that's one of my favorite parts of Elder Pro. They always have something new. This is from Zendikar. Josh has one of the first playmat, actually the first playmat we ever made, a little bit of a throwback as well. Uh, and finally, the last way to support the show is directly at patreon.com slash command zone. Patrons get all sorts of awesome benefits. They get to watch extra turns and game nights a day early, ad-free. They also get to talk to Josh and I on our Discord, ask us questions, and join our amazing community there that is ready to answer questions, dive into sweet combos, and talk about new previews and all that. Yeah, so make sure you go to patreon.com slash command zone. That's how you join our Patreon. Also, another perk is that we shout out one lucky patron every single episode, and this episode is dedicated to... Brendan Nguyen. Brendan. Brendan. You rock. Indeed. Okay. Deck building 101 for 2021. Uh, We're going to cover some practical steps and thought processes when it comes to how Commander works, how to go about building your first deck or just your latest deck. And it's not going to be a deep dive into sort of the ratios and the numbers. We're actually going to do that in a future episode when we update, again, our Commander deck building template because those things have changed quite as well. That'll be deck building 102. <laughs> yeah, hey, we have a whole college 202, going. 202, 201, wait, I don't wait, know. I don't really know how those numbers work. I can forget. we start a college with Professor around? <laughs> or does he need to like be our headmaster? <laughs> mm, yeah, that's a big downside to starting a college, i got to say. <laughs> so today we're going to be focusing on more general tips for newer players and seasoned veterans alike, one, uh, like when it comes to deciding on a deck to build. Build. But first off, we want to talk about a really general, what is Commander, just for people who maybe have seen Game Nights or haven't mm-hmm. even seen that and found this video another way. We're going to go through it really quickly. This is going to be fast. So in the show notes, we're going to have some links. If yep. you don't know what Commander is or the rules are, definitely check out those links. But we're going to go through it really quickly just so we're all on the same page if you're very, very new. So yep. if um, what is Commander? First of all, Commander is a special format of Magic the Gathering. Unlike other regular, quote-unquote, Magic, which is 1v1, Commander lets you play with multiple people. So three players in a single game, or four players, which is what we suggest in a single game. But you can go up to 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, too. (laughs) Yeah, we recommend around four, keep things nice and sane, and fitting around the single table. Uh, To play Commander, each player brings a special deck of 100 cards to the table. The format was originally called Elder Dragon Highlander, and the Highlander part is an homage to the famous line from the movie there can only be one with McCloud and the sword and all that stuff so that means you can only have and Sean Connery and Sean Con- yeah, yeah of course the amazing Sean Connery he was always talking about the mother of runes <laughs> so because it's Highlander you can only have one copy of any given unique card so except for basic lands so it's a, it's they call it the singleton format the idea is that you're not playing two three copies of any cards there's some cards of course that break the rules but in the, in general it's a singleton format so the Elder Dragon part of that name of Elder Dragon Highlander refers to your commander which is the more modern modern name for the format. Uh, so with few exceptions, the commander is a very special part of your deck because it must be a legendary creature from Magic's history, and it will say that right on the creature type as well. Yeah, and your commander starts in a special area called the command zone, and unlike other cards in your deck, you always have access to that commander card. You don't have to draw it out of your deck as you would your other cards. Uh, yeah. So this means that most decks are built with their strategies and synergy synergies uh, surrounding the commander or mm-hmm. with their commander in mind because you always have access to it. And the possibilities are endless. There have been over 20,000 cards in the history Ooh. of Magic. So yeah, you can build with with all of them in this format, basically, with a few exceptions that are banned. Yeah. Uh, Gavin Verhey, a friend of the show, has said that commander is an amazing way for players to express their personality. And with so many cards and so many commanders, especially from last year, adding so many, that definitely is what this game is all about. Players start with 40 life instead of the regular 20 in a multiplayer game. And the game is over when only one player is left standing and the others are knocked out. 
only one may stand. Which is a little, <laughs> Our version. Which is a little close to there can be only one. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a knockoff t-shirt of the Highlander <laughs> quote. Um, one other special rule of the format is that your commander, the physical card, your commander, has a special property. In combat, it deals something called commander damage to your opponents. So if one of your opponents takes 21 commander damage from any individual commander. So that means Jimmy's commander and my commander count their damage separately. But if my commander hit Jimmy for 21, he would immediately be knocked out of the game. It doesn't matter what his life total is at, how Mm -hmm. much health he's gained or anything like that. So commander damage is a special rule only in commander, basically, or commander variants. Yeah, and there's, of course, a few rules, special ban lists, all that stuff. Again, the links will all be uh, below. Now, people love to play commander for a variety of reasons. Either it's the uniqueness of the commanders, how you can express themselves and their personality via gameplay, or maybe they're challenge because it's super technically difficult to play certain styles or certain deck types or maybe they just love the political atmosphere and the banter around the table and you know for me and josh that was like the first thing that we loved was just like bantering with friends testing our metal against our friends and then building some rivalries and so on and so forth I like how you put down here. Commander was invented in 1996, which is three years before EverQuest. Yes. This game has been around a while. EverQuest was seen as like the first big MMO, one that Josh played. I loved it. And I think that's sort of where the idea of like a legendary creature is your hero, your champion, you know, that sort of theme started back with Commander and EverQuest and MMOs and stuff. And so I think this Commander actually kind of started that modern day trend. And there are tons and tons of players of Commander around the world. As we said, is now the most popular format we can both attest to this. We've literally played around the world. I was walking down the street in Prague and somebody goes, hey, I love game nights. <laughs> Last year, true story. Amazing. Okay, yeah. So if you're going to play Commander, you're going to find tons of people to be able to play with. Yep. And one of the most common questions, whether you're a first time player or a thousandth time player is what deck should I build or play next? Ah, I want to do something that's new or different. Uh, how do I get to doing that? So that's what this today's episode is all about. Okay, so that's what Commander is. It's definitely more complicated than that. Please follow the links in the show notes for all the specific details. (laughs) Let's talk about the big thing here, though, Jimmy. Deck building. Yep. I think the really big important thing to start off with is it's daunting to build your first deck or even your second, third, fifth deck. Yeah. Just remember, it does not need to start with a perfect idea or the perfect commander. Yeah, that's generally a really bad way to learn how to do anything or to grow. And you know, If you're like, I'm going to cook uh, something for the first time, it has to come out perfectly. Well, eh, it's not going to happen like that. You're going to have to do some test runs. And the, the main thing is don't set your expectations up to be like, this is going to be the perfect thing ever because ideas evolve. And- yeah, just look for that spark of infra- inspiration where you're mm-hmm. like, ooh, I don't know if this is going to be the best thing ever, but it seems like a cool idea and I want to try it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, generally the starting point for most decks is choose the commander, but that's not always the case. You know, there's lots of new partner commanders around. So there's tons of new possibilities in terms of how, uh, what categories or styles you want to go into, how you want to customize your deck to really um, be an extension of yourself. Um, And also, you know, you can choose a deck based on colors or maybe a strategy or a play style or a theme, a tribal theme. And of course, Josh put this down, which is great. There are lots of pre-con decks, which is the perfect way to get into the format if you're just daunted by the idea of building a deck from scratch. Yeah, if you don't know what a pre-con is, these are pre-packaged, fully functional decks that Wizards of the Coast has put together that you can just buy and they're... 
they're legal. You can play them right out of the box. Now, they're sort of purposely not final versions of themselves so that you have the opportunity to, under, to after you play it or look at it, to be like, oh, well, I, I think there's better stuff or cooler stuff I'd yeah. like to slot in here. But you can sl- sort of slowly do that over time and be like, I'm going to take these these three cards mm-hmm. out, put these three in. So a precon's also a really good way to go to give you a jumping off point. And a lot I of th- my favorite decks are evolutions of prior decks too. So Yeah, I, th- I don't want there to be a stigma out there that like, oh, if you start with a precon, it's somehow less than if you didn't jimmy and i have tons yeah. of our own decks that were literally pre-con started as pre-cons mm-hmm. and we upgraded or molded over time yeah. i think jimmy you know we get asked a lot by people one of the questions i i guess i can't answer for you but <laughs> i get asked a lot and i'm gonna assume you do you can tell me in a second is hey i want to build a new deck what should i build right and i'm always like the way i answer that question is to ask that person a bunch of questions yeah yeah, yeah, it's like almost like a uh, what you said earlier, which is like find your own spark of inspiration, um, and how do you figure that out? Well, you could start by asking Josh or myself, like on our Discord, but that's not necessarily going to get you closer to your answer because we don't know who you are, the player. Yeah, you can ask yourself the question. So we're kind of going to go through kind of uh, an algorithm almost that you could yeah. go through to figure out like what kind of player you are, what kind of deck might appeal to you, and just to kind of give you a little guidance. But I think you can find those answers yeah. out for yourself by just kind of some self-examination. Uh, yeah, and this is the question that I posed uh, in the outline, which is, what kind of fun do you want to have? Because Magic the Gathering, at the core of it, it's a card game with fantastical art, mythical creatures, and an endless universe with endless planes. It's a game. A game that a lot of us played as children, or maybe we're teaching it to our children if we're parents. Uh, and having fun, right? This is, like I think, one of the driving factors to keep anyone enthused or excited and invested in a hobby like Magic. So this is sort of the first question we're going to throw around the table here, which is, like, what are the core reasons that you, the person watching this video or thinking about building a deck, love to play not just Magic, but games in general. So for me, this was like a thought experiment. I'm going to look back into my gaming history, and the more I can sort of remember about what I did having fun as a kid, it's going to make me be a little more confident when I make a decision later on in terms of like, yes, this is the kind of deck I like to play because I know this about myself. Yeah, and that's like a famous uh, sort of philosophical statement, right? Know thyself. Right. So much of success in life or figuring out what path you should be taking is just about knowing yourself because the answer is different for everybody. So Mm -hmm. if you know yourself, you can choose the sort of right path. So I like this first question that you wrote, which is take a reflection on your gaming history. And the more you think about and the more you're informed and confident with, you know, Mm-hmm. what your decision is, what type of gamer are you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. You, you what kind of games did you like, right? Yeah, this was a fun exercise. So Jimmy put down what kind of games do you like and he was like literally put down the three games we each <laughs> like. So Jimmy, do you want to go through the th- your yes. your three games? So my first uh, game is sort of a combination. I played them right around the same time and they were the two role-playing games called Chrono Trigger and Super Mario RPG, which was Uh, The reason I loved it was the role-playing aspect. I got to embody a character. They had special abilities. And the cool thing was I was playing with a group of people. I was sort of like setting off on a quest. Um, Everyone had different talents and specialties. And I loved, oh, this person has an awesome sword or this person is a magic caster. So I was really involved in that idea that the commander in this case or the main character has this thing it does. The music was also amazing. (laughs) Uh, The second game I put down uh, was Tetris, which is might seem a little weird because it has nothing to do with commander, but Tetris 
is a game. It has a lot to do with Commander. Yeah, that, well, the more I thought about it, I was like, this is actually really nice because Tetris is all about precision, about accuracy, and it's really addicting because I wanted to always set a personal record or do something that I felt was impressive. I got to level 10 and didn't die for two minutes or whatever, and the bragging rights that came with Tetris was a part of also why I love that game. I think C- Commander and Magic in general is also a puzzle. Mm-hmm. at its heart a lot of like how do i move the pieces or play the things in the right order to make this certain thing happen you know right. Melissa to who's one of the great magic players ever sort of will t- often talk about magic in that sense yeah and when do you save the uh the really long piece in tetris for that awesome combo whatever it is yep. uh and then the third game was world of warcraft a game i got hopelessly addicted to because of the social aspect of it i was in a guild i was actually in the same server as dj amazingly really? yeah we were out. both in the same server in the same guild at one point what? too yeah unrivaled dominion Did you even know that yeah and gorgon Ash. I, I tweeted them about it and i was like dj what <laughs> uh and i played a tank in that game so i like always had a purpose for raids like i really liked that responsibility and sort of like i fulfilled a role in a social setting um and i think if you think about how i play on game nights and stuff i'm definitely not someone that takes the game seriously i'd, I'd rather be there to add entertainment and fun to the environment. So that was something I think also reflected in my gaming habits. Also, Commander is the most social of ways to play Magic. One of the reasons I think that it is so popular. Yeah, World of Warcraft. You were a tank, huh? I played a healer, so we would have been been good friends. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, what are your top three games, Josh? Well, similar to World of Warcraft, but it was the precursor EverQuest, which we referenced earlier. I think I liked a lot of the same things about it. Um, The progression of building your character, the feeling Mm. of accomplishment. EverQuest was a very difficult game, a very (laughs) punishing game. (laughs) Dying. Yeah, dying and losing (laughs) XP, losing levels. That was horrible. Losing your body sometimes and not being able to retrieve the items. That was a thing in early EverQuest. Um so, but I liked the feeling of accomplishment and also the like gaining of skills and abilities. Again, like you said, I never really thought about it, but very much like Commander. Yeah, right. Uh, Starcraft was a huge one, which ah. yeah, which directly ties into magic, I think, in a lot of ways as far as resource management and mm-hmm. really understanding like how to move your pieces around the board to get like the most out of them. Um, and We're literally making like value engines, right? Yeah, and there's a lot of uh uh, analogs over the years, I think I've probably made a lot of comments during the podcast about how, like, you know, ramping is is something that you can do in StarCraft. You can uh-huh. choose to, like, sort of skimp on the amount of warriors you have and kind of take a risk and instead build more workers so that mm-hmm. you can build more resources so that later in the game you will be more powerful, uh-huh, but you yeah. kind of take a hit early. So there's a lot of analogs. That's cool. Uh, and then the third one wasn't a video game, but it was um, Vampire the Masquerade. I used to run a live action what? game That's yeah, so when, I was in, uh, when I was in high school. But it's similar to your World of Warcraft in that what I really learned from live action role playing and role playing games in general is the social aspect and mm-hmm. how much of the game caused you to just sort of like use your social skills to like accomplish things. Because when yeah. you're playing live action, like what you learn about LARPing is it's not really about the mechanics after a while. Yes, there are mechanics in the game. In, in Vampire the Masquerade, we used to play, and everything was sort of decided with rock, paper, scissors. But after right. a while, you just go whole nights playing the game and never do rock, paper, scissors. You just <laughs> play your character and have fun with it. And it was all about the social uh, interaction. So I really like that. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Man, I would have, I, I would do anything to be in that live-action role-playing game. That'd be pretty fun. Vampire the Masquerade's coming back. I, it I, is! Yeah, exactly. And I, I see all these shows. You know, they have all these D&D shows. Yeah, and I've yeah, yeah. never really been a D&D player. And I'm like, man, Vampire. I might get back into it because of that. <laughs> okay, so now that uh, we... Wait, hold on. I oh, was a yeah. gangrel, by the way. Oh, what, what and, the heck's that? Yeah, that's okay. Some people out there oh, might okay, know. Okay, okay, okay. Those people are cheering. I'm just cutting off the comments. They're like, what? You know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now they get to comment. I was you? this too. Yeah, yeah, let us know if you played Vampire the Masquerade. Um, okay, so now that we've sort of examined, I think, like what 
our gaming history is and why we like the games that we did. Um, it's time to, I think, figure out, right? So that's the fun quotient, why we enjoy these games. Now, how does that translate into Magic the Gathering and specifically Magic gameplay? Um, and the way that we looked at this was sort of by two, I would call them overarching, very simplified trinities of three player archetypes and three the holy trinities the of holy magic. trinities yeah <laughs> it's like the triforce but there's only two triangles because it's about player archetypes and then by triforce strategy archetypes um and this is by no means a full breakdown of what it is to be a magic player how to express yourself in the game but i think for again you know for the purposes of just understanding what the game's about and how you can play within it will help you tie together what you liked in games and how you can express that in commander yeah it is it is useful to sort of think of yourselves in a combination of these categories even if right. they're not comprehensive just to kind of understand oh I, I sort of generally lean this way yeah. and knowing that about yourself can cause you to choose like the correct deck that you're gonna have the most fun with or also help you choose as we often do now after you've been playing a while the decks that you haven't tried mm -hmm. right oh i know i'm this type and i always go towards that so maybe i'm gonna try to play boros or Rakdos a little more yeah and maybe i can instill some of the things i like about the other colors in these colors like you can sort of bring that element to it which we'll talk about a little bit later all right so there are the three player archetypes or the psychographics as they are mm -hmm. often referred to and you've heard us say this on the show if you watch before or you'll hear people in magic often refer to these and so now you'll know what they mean yep. there's timmy johnny and spike those are kind of the three psychographics. Number one, Timmy. I like you have a little quote here. <laughs> this one goes roar. Timmy's, yeah. Timmy's love humongous creatures or really big effects. They want to impress their opponents with their sp splashy plays. Yeah. It's not necessarily complex, but they're like very impactful. Swing the tide of a game. They want everybody to be like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and for them to go like, yes. <laughs> they want to just play the huge dragon and just feel like they are that dragon, right? Yeah. Shivan Dragon, I think, is like the classic Timmy card from back in the day. Or like, I love Nightmare because I was like, oh my gosh, it's it could be huge. Force of Nature for me when I first saw oh, it. I was nice. like, what? I mean, yeah. I didn't think about the downsides, but I was like, that thing is crazy. Yeah. So, and, and this isn't to say that Timmy or any of these psychographics are better or worse players than the other, right? These are just things that hearken to what you like. So, for instance, if you liked, you know, a playing a game where you kind of had that moment where you get to press a button and a massive thing happens, that might put you a percentage bit into what a Timmy is. Uh, the second type is Johnny, and then the quote I put for this is, and then I go infinite. So Johnnies are sort of known as your synergistic card users. They're trying to combine things together and put a toolkit together to like make some cool, you know, crazy machine that does X, Y, and Z. And maybe it's an, an engine that generates infinite mana or tokens, or maybe they're looping some crazy interactions over and over again and just creating a ton of value, or they're abusing some mechanic. And they're not necessarily winning with this, by the way. Some Johnnies just like to enjoy the combo aspect of it. Like, look at this thing I made. It's a Rube Goldberg machine. And everyone's like, do you win? They're like, nope, but it can make this. <laughs> I think Johnny's intrinsically... If Timmy's want you to be impressed with the, the power of the thing they did, Johnny's want you to be impressed with how smart the thing they did right, is. The complexity. Like, and they want players not to go, oh, they want players to go, wait, you can do that? <laughs> yeah. Like they've discovered some secret about the game through their mastery of the synergies of cards. Right. And the third psychographic is the spike. And the spike, and we'll call them spikes, you'll hear us talk about this, is the player that wants to win. Winning the game 
for Johnny and Timmy is not necessarily the most important thing. It's more important that they play the big dragon mm-hmm. or they do something that other players think is smart. Spike doesn't care as much about those things, is more uh, worried about at the end of the day, was I victorious? Right. And and there are a lot of different ways that Spike's express that, right? If And like we said, Timmy wanted you to be impressed by the big plays. Johnny's with the cool combination. Spike's wants you to be impressed almost with how correctly they play how they're so tight they're sequencing things correctly there wasn't a single missed mana you know they used all their mana up and they were super efficient and they played in the most optimal way and as a result they won so they're the closest to competitive if not all the way there okay jimmy this begs the question yes i know that's the improper use of the phrase begs the question just don't just ignore that part of it which of these three are you or you know i know nobody's wholly one of these right you know, percentages maybe. Yeah, where do, where do you sort of where do you sort of lean? You know, when it comes to commander specifically, I'm much more on the Timmy side that will occasionally become a Johnny. Just because of the things I play, I'm like, wait a second. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This I definitely meant to do that in this deck, but it just so happened to sort of like fall into place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely a Johnny with a little bit of spike in there. I'm definitely not a Timmy. Like, yeah. my, you can look at all my decks and they probably don't have anything that really costs seven mana as big and splashy. <laughs> to my detriment, many times I'm like, you know, I really should just have it all drowsy in this thing. Yeah, one <laughs> massive win condition. Yeah, that would probably be better. I think when it comes to like limited and 1v1 formats, I inherit much more of the spike mentality. But there's just something about sitting around the table with four people or whatever that that just completely erases that from my psychographic. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. When I'm playing draft or sealed, I'm definitely more spike than either of the other two. Yeah. Uh, But I don't care that much about winning in commander. Yep. Okay, so now that we looked at the psychographics, and of course, these all bleed into each other, no one is 100% of anything. And there are other places, sorry, uh, Vorthos people that worry about the story and things like that and themes and other things. Those are definitely not the only three. They're just sort of the big three that everybody talks about. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the other Holy Trinity, and this is the three strategy archetypes. And this is something that originated from um, designers and players sort of analyzing 1v1 magic. But with these three categories, you can pretty much cover almost every type of strategy that you can find in Commander. Um, And the three strategies are aggro. So aggro, control, and combo. So aggro is all about attacking, making it quick. Aggro strategies are, they're aggressive and generally they're linear, which means that they're starting at one point and they're drawing a straight line from here to their victory, which is I'm going to smack you in the face until you go to zero life. Um, They're trying to kill you with like damage spells or attacking creatures and they speed up the game because what they're doing is they're threatening to take out players faster than what the normal pace of the game is. Um, And so they're winning with damage-based strategies, whether they're attacking with creatures or casting spells to do a bunch of damage to lower players' life totals. Aggro is the Mike Tyson ah of nice you know if mike tyson was a commander deck it would he would be an aggro deck Mm -hmm. he's not so worried about whether he's going to be tired in round 10 because he's thinking he's going to knock you out in round two right (laughs) yeah exactly he doesn't need a lot still round 10 he knows and and that's how you beat him actually which is control right you try and tire someone out like that so control is the second archetype yeah control is the judo more of uh strategies in that they're going to try and take your punch tire you out they're muhammad ali yeah they're going to rope a dope they're dodging like dodging getting you tired wait till you're tired and then they're going to strike wear you down have an answer block everything you're throwing blunt it Mm -hmm. and then slowly over time they're going to win in the later rounds when you're tired 
Yeah, they're sort of they're they're worried about and they care about disrupting your plays, getting rid of something so that you can't actually do what you're trying to do. If you're an aggro player, the control deck plays a board wipe, mm. wipes out your board, and and they they draw a card draw spell, so they're up on uh, cards and you're down on cards, and they're controlling the game, trying to almost be a little master of puppets in a way. And the final of the three strategy archetypes, again, there are others, but these mm-hmm. are the big three. Is combo. And combo is going to set up for one big turn and win sort of, we call it out of nowhere. It often, your life total won't have changed the entire game. And then combo player go, this card, that card, mm-hmm. that kills everyone. And it feels like it, it's out of nowhere a little bit. I'm not sure boxing analogy wise, who, Sugar Ray Robinson, maybe somebody who I'm like, wondering <laughs> what are you going to yeah, say? Yeah, I didn't really have, I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> somebody who could do both, right? right. So could play defensive, but wouldn't ne- could still knock you out if, if you kind of made a mistake. What's Muhammad Ali's quote about floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee? That's maybe, exactly maybe that's a little bit of a combo there, right yeah. there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and combo players too, they're, they they care about protecting what they're trying to do. So, you know, you can easily disrupt a combo player and it's sort of in their prerogative to make sure that you can't do that. Um, and there are usually players that play a lot of redundancy. So like, ah, oh, you got rid of that combo piece. Good thing I can draw another one and sort of build the machine back up again. They're not often worried about incremental stuff. Like they don't care if they take small chunks of damage and they're not really worried about dealing small chunks of damage. They're going to just do everything all at once yeah. set up for that one moment. Yeah. And these three are sort of seen as like rock, paper, scissors in magic where aggro can beat control. Control can generally beat combo and combo can beat aggro. But in between each of these archetypes are hybrid ones. So there's aggro control and control aggro or control combo and combo control, etc. There are ways to express all of that. And if you look back at the original Trinity, you could be a Timmy in any three of these. Yes, really so sure. you don't necessarily have to assign one to the other just because it's a combo doesn't mean it's a johnny player you could be a spike combo player as well yep all right so let's go back to that original question we asked so so long ago <laughs> how is your fun expressed in magic's gameplay yeah so this is definitely a personal thought experiment ask yourself again thinking about the games that you liked and why you like them and applying them to what we just talked about are you someone that is interested in playing that fast-paced game and taking people sort of like catching them off guard or are you more interested in slowing it out and having control over the whole thing um and, you know, like the main thing is like what characteristics and style and what blend of them, because it doesn't need to be 100% of anything here, is going to keep you enjoying the game and want you coming back for more, I think, is really important, especially in the beginning of playing card games. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So you have a good point here. Uh, we're going to bring up a graphic and it's going to say nothing is impossible. Yeah, maybe like a little rainbow will go underneath it. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> that is like uh, yeah, just stop saying Jimmy, stuff, come people. Come on, man, this ain't reading rainbow. <laughs> so we'll often say things like uh, strategies like aggro aren't as viable in multiplayer games, and and that is true to some extent. But remember, when we make those statements, we talk about the viability of certain strategies. Mm-hmm. Like combo is definitely very strong in multiplayer because a combo tends to not care how many players there are. Right, it's gonna knock infinitely out. knock out as many. If there's a hundred or right. one, it can still do the thing. But that doesn't mean that it's like an on-off switch. Aggro can never win, and combo always wins. It's just a percentage of, like, chance. Yeah, yes, combo can be advantaged, maybe, if it's built optimally optimally versus aggro. But that doesn't mean you can't win with any given strategy. You, You definitely can. Yeah, and a lot of the times, your strategies and the ability for your deck to win at a multiplayer table, it's going to be mitigated with how you build your deck, the kinds of cards you put in, and whether your aggro strategy is, you know, if you have cards that, say, deal X damage to each opponent... 
that could also be an aggro strategy that makes it much more viable. So there's lots of ways to obviously do that. Um, and, you know, in general, like we will be talking about this in the future and when we revisit our deck building template. So, man, you are pricing us into having to do that. I know. I mean, we talked about it and it, it we does do need to do it update. this year. It's been like four years. Yeah. Yeah. So, just keep your mind open though and don't feel like, oh, but I want to do this, but I can't. It's like, no, Commander, by this point, it is flexible enough for you to do pretty much whatever you want. And that's part of the beauty of the format. Yeah. One of the great things I think in Strengths of Commander is that it's not focused around tournaments, it's not focused around, yeah. around winning. There are generally no stakes when you're playing. So it does open up the field to a lot of strategies because not everybody's just trying to do the best thing all the time. Mm -hmm. People like Jimmy and I are just trying to have fun a lot. And that opens the door to basically any strategy you want to try at least has a chance to spread its wings. All right, we're going to get into sort of learning about maybe what colors you might want to choose, talking about different archetypes and what they offer to you and all kinds of other stuff for introduction to deck building. But before we continue... We're going to take a quick break and hear a message from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now... All you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, welcome back to the Deck Building 101 2021 edition, the number one place for you to get lots of advice one 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 just saying one a bunch <laughs> okay so it feels like there should be a pun there with 2021 and yeah. deck building 101 but there isn't no i can just <laughs> i'm just thinking about the freeway so that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't help anyone okay uh, so it's like the californians oh yeah perfect <laughs> now that's the rest of the episode is just in that accent okay so now we've talked about sort of how you want to have fun in the psychographics and the archetypes that match it let's get a little more in depth now into the colors of magic Magic. So this is going to get a little more in the weeds of things, but um, this is really important because learning your colors in relation to how they affect the types of gameplay and how you're going to express your version of fun is really important because magic, if all the five colors did the same thing, then nothing would matter. Fortunately, magic is not like that. Each color is very unique and powerful in different ways. And again, no, <laughs> nothing is absolute. There's always going to be exceptions to the norm, um, except for a couple of colors are a little more disadvantaged, unfortunately. Yeah, but it's good to know what each color sort of is is good at and what they like to do because, again, it's kind of like the psychographics and whatnot. It helps you make your decision. You're like, oh, I'm this kind of player. I know I'm a Timmy. I know I'm, you know, interested in building more of a control deck. Right. You know, maybe I'm going to lean towards black a little bit more mm -hmm. than I would towards whatever other color just because I know that's kind of doing what I like and that's leaning already right, in the direction right. I want to lean. So let's talk about the five colors and sort of what each one is good at or what they like to do. 
Yeah. So let's start with white. So at a glance, white is the color of morality, order, holiness, unity, life gain. It has, order's the big one. Yeah, order is the big one. They like, they like rules. Rules. And so, of course, you would think, okay, well, if they like that and rules and stuff, what are their strengths? Well, white's really good of removal of most permanent types. They can get rid of most everything. They love wiping the board, going wide with tokens because order means, you know, armies and working in conjunction with each other. Yep. Um, they're also a lot about life gain as well with clerics and all that stuff. And they can be very good with aggro strategies. Yep. Um, they also are one of the better exile colors. Mm-hmm. So they're good at exiling things usually when they remove them. Or not usually, but often when they remove right. them, they will exile them, which is a lot better in Commander than just destroying. Uh, like you said, board wipes, mass removal. Not just wiping the board of creatures, but they can often say all permanents. Let's just get rid of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Or all enchantments. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing. Uh, making a lot of tokens that's similar to going wide. That is a, a thing that... Uh, white's really good at a lot of little creatures. 1-1 one, one Soldiers is like the ultimate white uh, token creature. And of course, because they're all into order, that means they also have elements of control. So taxation and stacks, which is sort of the ability to make your opponents pay more for something, or it's harder for them to attack you or do something or cast a spell, or they can only cast spells on their turn. Or cost more mana. Yeah, so they're sort the of creating laws. Yeah, rules. Um, and then unfortunately, white's main downside is that they don't have great card draw. Um, so it's hard for them to refill their hand as well as the other colors. And ramp. They're not very good at getting extra mana onto the table. Those are kind of their two big weaknesses, which is unfortunate because those are kind of the two most important parts (laughs) of building a commander deck. Yeah. If you listen to this podcast, you'll know that we talk about it all the time. All right. Blue, the greatest color. (laughs) Uh, Hold up. (laughs) At a glance, blue is the color of logic, cold, calculating logic. Mm -hmm. They're the color of technology of learning, of intelligence. Right. Your mind is the most powerful thing, not your strength or muscles. Yeah, Yeah, it's all about what's up here. Um, So obviously their strengths is because it's all about intelligence and drawing cards is the the closest you can get in Magic to the idea of getting smarter. They have great ways to draw cards and they have great ways to also steal stuff like your opponent's creatures. And they are in general a bit more tricky because again, they're using sort of their brain power over yours and they're very much into the control world of things as well. Yeah, blue's definitely the tricky color. They have all the weird effects where you're like, wait, what? (laughs) <laughs> I got to read that four times to understand what that does. That's probably a blue card. Also, maybe red because of chaos. We'll talk about that in a second. Indeed. So looking in depth, uh, they have tons of card draw and card advantage. Blue also has counter spells, which are catch-all answers for almost anything. You know, a lot of colors have to, uh, like if you're black, you have real trouble getting rid of enchantments or something. Mm-hmm. Blue can catch the spell as it's being cast and stop it. Right. Um, now, you have timing restrictions on when you can do that. If it's already on the table, you can't do much, maybe, if you're blue. But that does give them a lot of versatility and able to answer a lot of different kinds of things if they just have right. that two blue mana open. As a uh, result, they're not great at removing stuff that's already on the table. They can destroy some things here and there, but it's definitely not as robust as, like, white or black or green, even. What they can often do is bounce the thing back to the player's hand, which is twofold uh, in how white's good. One is because if you try and recast it, now maybe they can counter it, right? Mm-hmm. Because they got it back to your hand and you have to cast it again. Also, often bouncing a thing to a hand to somebody's hand is similar to removing it. And that, like, you get that effect off the table in the moment that they were about to use it. And right. yeah, it's bad if it comes back uh, next turn, but that's next turn. Yeah, and it also makes them basically replay their turn. So it's called like time walking someone, making them basically take their turn again at a later date. Um, And speaking of time walk, blue is also the color where you get to take extra turns. Dang, knowledge is powerful. Dang, knowledge is powerful. (laughs) (laughs) 
The next color is black. Um, and at a glance, black is all about power, parasiticism, uh, amorality, but it's very important to note, not immorality. Uh, black doesn't necessarily mean evil. Um, a lot of people will very much go like, oh, white, good, black, evil. That's uh, very much an oversimplification. So black is often more interested in, you know, how do I extract this, you know, at any cost? And it doesn't mean that I have to turn into an evil person. Maybe it means I have to hurt myself to learn this or whatever it is. So they're more in that realm of things. Their strengths are very much playing around with their own graveyard or other people's graveyards, reanimating things from graveyards. Zombies, of course, are black. Right. Uh, they're very good at creature, specifically creature removal. Might have trouble with other permanent types like enchantments, but mm -hmm. creatures, they got a million ways to get rid of. Creature board wipes. Uh, and they are the, tu the best tutor color. So they are the ability to search and find any card in your deck and get it into your hand, black is better at that than anybody. Yeah, and that's definitely what makes it very powerful in Commander as well, because again, you have 20,000 cards to choose from. And you've got 100 cards in your deck. You can only have one of any given card, so your chance to just draw that card is much less in Commander right. than other formats where you have four of something and there's 60 cards. So the ability to go find the specific card you need at the right moment works for all the strategies, especially combo, which we've already said is powerful. Pretty powerful. Uh, In-depth, Black also has access to sort of big mana ramp because it knows how to double the power of their swamps with specific cards. Um, and also there's, like we said, tons of removal, um, but more so on the creature side and board wipes as well. So that shares it in common with white. Um, and Black also likes to sacrifice creatures. Again, when we said at any cost, Black is trying to use things almost as currency and they don't care what it is. You're a creature? Yeah, get out of here. I'm going to sacrifice you for some other gain. So to that degree, they use life, their life total as a resource. Um, and as a result, Black actually has tons of card draw as well. Will, yeah, it's, I think it's worth noting that life as a resource is a very powerful thing in Commander because one of the Commander rules that changes from Normal mm -hmm. Magic is going to 40 life instead of 20. And that interacts interestingly with cards because if a card says pay two life, do something, that was balanced and based on pay two life if you have 20 life. Right. So pay two life is actually sort of the equivalent of paying one life because you start with 40 life, right. if that makes any sense. So those are cards that can sort of be abnormally balanced in Commander. And that's stuff to look for uh, for sort of powerful things you can do that maybe are unique to commander yeah definitely and one of the really fun parts about building decks in this format yeah. is getting those small cool little interactions because of that stuff yep oh now we're talking about the best color <laughs> it's <laughs> red um this is my favorite color obviously josh's is blue um red at a glance this is the color of passion, impulsivity, chaos, freedom. Red wants to express their emotions in a big way. They're not afraid to hide that sort of part of them. Uh, they are definitely out there, and they let themselves be known both in gameplay and sort of in the way that they deal with cards and card draw and all they that. They wear their hearts on their sleeves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, their strengths are damage. Most of what Red's going to do is damage-based. They're not going to get all tricky with, you know, trying to mill out their opponents or something weird. They're mm -hmm. like, no, you have 40 life. I'm going to try and take that down to zero. Yeah, as fast as possible as well, whether I'm swinging with 50 goblins or just a bunch of little creatures that are hasty. So they're they're all about aggro and speed. And the chaos part of it is one that's not as seen as much in Commander, but they do add an element of chaos and randomness to the games oftentimes, whether they're flipping coins or maybe flipping cards off the top of their deck. Or other they, players' decks now. Or other players' decks, right, and playing them like that. 
Yeah, the, the chaos, the variance, the randomness part they've really played into in recent years, and it's a pretty fun part of Red, which is like, this could be very powerful, or maybe not. We're not really sure, right. but we're going to go for it. Yeah, but it adds a fun layer of who knows what's going to happen in this game. But as a result, Red plays a bit more linearly. So again, they, they have a clear starting point and ending point for most of their strategies and how they're trying to win the game. Uh, okay. Uh, In-depth, they like direct damage via spells and abilities. Card draw, their form of card draw in red, and they've done this more in recent years, is what we call impulsive draw. Mm-hmm. So it, instead of drawing the card into your hand and you can play it any time, it usually says exile the card face up, and then you can only play that card for a specified amount of time, either until the end of your turn or until the end of your next turn. This is usually not as good, obviously, as having in your hand. Everybody can see it. You have a time limit on when you can cast it, but it is a way to get card advantage and card draw, uh, which red didn't used to have. So it's definitely yes. come up in recent years. I'd say red was the worst color probably when we started this podcast about six and a half years ago, and now it's probably in fourth place, but it's moved up a spot, and it and not just that. It's closed the gap with the other yeah. colors. I would say it's not as far behind whatever the third and fourth or second and third place colors are as it used to be. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, So, you know, this is something that's awesome and why we're doing these updates is because we would have had a much different conversation about red six years ago. All right, the last color. It's green. The actual best color. The actual best color. (laughs) (laughs) If by best, you mean most powerful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So at a glance, green is, you might have guessed it, nature. It's about growth. It's about natural growth. It's not about, you know, blue or black, which may use like mechanized ways to grow stuff. No, green is about huge creatures, massive trees, instinctual things, um, community, sort of what nature and that world brings you. Yeah, their strengths are mana ramp. This is the really, really big one, especially since they are the only ones really that consistently do land-based mana ramp, getting extra lands into play. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are able to, therefore, do their powerful things earlier than the other colors because they just have more mana earlier. Uh, And they got creatures that they can, and spells they can cast with it because they've got some monsters out there. Yeah, they are the creature color. So they have the most powerful creatures in magic, large and small. Mm -hmm. You you know, it's not just like they have the ten tens, which they have, but they also have the two twos with crazy abilities because green is just the creature color. And as creatures have become more powerful in magic and more of an emphasis in design has been put on creature combat, green has sort of continued to become more powerful as as a result. And they have creatures that even tap for mana. So a whole section of elves and things and dryads that give you more mana, but on a creature. And a lot of the other colors don't have the same access to just as many, for sure. Now, one of the downsides of green is that they are not very good at actually destroying other creatures, at reaching out and killing your opponent's creatures or getting rid of them. They have some ways to do it with fight spells and things, but they require you to have other Mm -hmm. things going on in your board. But they are good at removing specifically artifacts and enchantments. Right. So they do have pretty strong removal packages. Um, They do not board wipe, though. With very few exceptions, green is just not good at getting rid of a lot of stuff all at once. Yeah, and it makes sense that they can kill artifacts because those are like weird metallic e-objects in a natural world. Nah, green doesn't need that. Naturalize it. Get out of the way. Um, in depth, of course, green is just the best ramp color by far. Uh, they're the only color that can consistently get out lands from their deck on the battlefield and increase their mana very quickly in a way that's really hard to interact with. Um, and of course, there's a lot of card draw as well. These are creatures that like to fight each other and trample over. So green really does have a bit of it all when it comes to powerful color abilities. Again, I think in recent years, green has gotten a lot of card draw, and that's really 
push their power level up because mm-hmm. that was the one thing they were missing. It's usually based on your creatures, but because right. green is the best at creatures, you're already doing that anyway. Yeah, green, uh, definitely a good choice if you're building a deck or one of your first decks. Green's yeah. going to cover most of your bases. For sure. And just make sure that you have a good time because you're able to play your spells and do the things you want to. All right, okay. so we went through all the colors, and you might be thinking, do any of these speak to me? Which ones of the colors that we just talked about sort of sounds like it's most up your alley? You know, if it's blue and you want to do tricky stuff, maybe that's like, oh, that tickled your brain, and you're like, that sounds fun. Or maybe it was like, oh, no, red, and just throwing fireballs at my opponent's faces, that sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, you don't just have to play with one color. In fact, you can play with one, two, three, four, or five colors in commander depending on your legendary creature so we're going to go through sort of what commander options feel like for each of the colors again this is going to be broad you know big paintbrush one color pun intended so let's start off with one color deck so this is just white blue black red or green um monocolor decks are actually quite popular these days in commander because you know as magic's grown up there's more and more and more cards to help those colors be viable because they don't have access to the other ones but typically monocolor decks are very good at serving a single purpose um just because their card quality overall is a bit limited by not having access to the other colors yeah, they're a little less flexible. They can't cover their weaknesses that much. Um, this is something that's slowly improving over time, though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the colors are not created equal, so some are more powerful than others. Full stop. That's just the way it goes. Yep. Just because of historic qual- card quality and recent design choices. Yep. And it's fine. I don't think all the colors could ever be exactly equal. I don't think you want them to be yeah. either because that's just going to lend to less inventive, I think, deck building over time because, right, you're not going to have access to certain types of effects if you're in certain colors. And But for... they, can, they can all win. I don't right. think you have to stay away from any color because it can't win. Maybe mono white, I would say, of all of them if you're building a deck early on maybe don't do that but yeah you know there are mono white decks that are very strong once you sort of are a more veteran player i think yeah and maybe that's a fun challenge for you or it's a handicap that you want to build around and challenge yourself with so you know don't be afraid of anything just because it may not seem as powerful on the surface um and then in terms of commander selection you're going to be a lot more limited here because I would say generally when legendary creatures are printed back in the day, even they always had multiple colors in them. And that's sort of been the pattern. Um, for the most part, most legendary creatures are going to have multiple colors, uh, when it, when it comes to building a commander deck. Uh, but there are strong entries for aggro control combo, anything you want to do, yep. uh, you're going to be able to find in the mono colors. Yep. All right, let's talk about two-color decks because this is where it kind of starts to get interesting. And there's 10 combinations of two colors, so we're going to have to go kind of fast here. Yeah. Um, But this really does sort of start to open you up to all kinds of strategies. It's... it's, um, It's not like... it's, It's not incremental. It's... What a multiplicative. What's the word I'm (laughs) looking for? Multiplicative? Yeah. It's a lot more (laughs) complex as soon as you start putting two colors together. Yep. Yeah, and the doors really are thrown wide open because what happened in Magic's most recent Commander set uh, from this uh, recording date was Commander Legends, where they introduced a bunch of these cards called Partner Commanders, where if they say Partner on the bottom, you can just grab that and any other commander that has a partner on that, and they can both be your commander, and then your color identity becomes those two colors. And because so many options were made at each color, all of a sudden, all of these new archetypes and ways to play are open, and you can be like, I want a little bit of control and a little bit of aggro, or a little bit of combo and a little bit of control, and now you can actually just make those with a lot of those combinations as well as just the long history of two color commanders because these are the you know ravnica is one of the really popular planes of magic and their main theme of ravnica ravnica are these two color guilds yeah and i would say 
that two-color deck is probably one of the best places to start if you're building your first deck. Monocolor is going to be a little bit too restrictive oftentimes. You're going to wish, ah, I wish I could do this kind of thing, but my color doesn't really do it. Three-color is going to be a little bit maybe too complex just Mm -hmm. because it opens you up to so many cards that your head might begin to spin. Two-color is a really nice in-between point where it's like, yep, I can cover all my weaknesses. I can kind of do what I want to do, but the choices are not so much. It's like when you go to the restaurant and they're menu is like 12 pages that's the worst how long is it going to take me to order with yeah. five days to don't cheesecake factory yourself. yeah exactly <laughs> a lot of times it's better if you just have less choices because you're like well i have to choose one of these seven things it makes it a little bit easier yeah totally now of course don't cheesecake factory yourself. <laughs> you're going to get access to yeah. most abilities and effects definitely look on uh what all the partner commanders were from commander legends because really you can be like i want plus one plus one counters and artifacts and you can find that combination guaranteed um but some colors are going to be a little bit hampered by lack of options so like Boros, red and white. Typically, the main commanders printed for this, especially recently, they're all about attacking. They're all about equipment. So there aren't as many options as some of the other ones. Uh, all right, let's talk about three color. They're they're shards and wedges, is what people will often call them. But these are three color pairings. Yep, and there are ten of these as well. Um, And I think a general rule for three-color commanders is that they're more focused on what the commander card can do and much less flexible uh, than sort of the two-color partner pairings that we were just talking about. Um, If a card's three-color, it'll pretty much on the card say, like, this is the kind of deck I'd like you to build around me. They're often two more strongly in two of the colors, and one of the colors is just kind of a little bit of a splash. So very rarely is it like 30 of the cards in the deck are dedicated to this, 30 of this, and 30 of the other color. It's usually more like you know, 45, 40, 15, you know? Right, right. Yeah, so, and that also helps you, I think, when you're building is like, okay, I know that, you know, black is going to be the color in this deck that there's not as much of, so I just need to choose eight or nine good black cards and I'm not going to try and have everything be black. Yeah, that's actually kind of how I build a lot of three-color decks because you don't want, you know, mana bases, another thing that I'm sure we'll retouch on at some point, is it the, the more colors you're adding, the more complex it gets. You don't want to necessarily burden yourself with that when you're just getting going. Um, and there were actually partners from the original partner set that were two-color, so you can make a lot of three-color decks with the partners there, but because, again, there are not as many of those partners, you're a little bit more limited. Yeah, but um, there's been a lot of creatures, especially in the last few years, that have just naturally have three-color colors yeah um sorry a lot of legendary creatures that just naturally have three colors in their casting costs so there's definitely a lot of choices and three color and two color decks are the 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 decks we see the most in the format for sure yeah and as you know i was looking at all the three color pairings i was like what kind of strategies are they all the same it's like no actually they're very different and that's the cool part about three colors is that because there are three colors you can be more in some of the others and that's going to change what the deck wants to do and sort of how it's themed all right, now, uh, four color pairings, pairings, groupings are the <laughs> squares, are, yeah. are the ones we have the least of. Uh, there are only the five four color groupings because you have, you put the Nephilim names here. Yeah, that's what sort of people reference them as. Before, there were these non-legendary creatures called Nephilim that all had four colors in them. And people were like, ah, oh, why can't we just use those as our legendary creatures? And so, then Watsi printed actual four-color legendaries. Yeah, I'm just going to call it green list, white list, blue list. Because right. if you say Dune Brood, I don't know which one that yeah, is. Yeah, me that's, neither. That's blue list, by the way. <laughs> so basically, every uh, four-color pairing is just missing one of the five colors. And they're almost more defined by the color they don't have than they are defined by the colors they do have. Ah, uh, yeah. Since they're four out of five already. There haven't been very many of these. And 
there was only one set, which was Commander 2016, which had four color um, commanders naturally in their casting costs. And then the old partners, which were two color, which also came from Commander 2016, you can put two of those together. Yep. I wouldn't recommend this as a starting point for people that are building new decks. This is something I think you go into when you've been playing EDH a little, little bit longer. Just because there's less choice for one thing. And for two, now you're, you've got a lot to juggle a lot of things going on and, and it might not be the best place to start. Although, you know, Atraxa or something mm-hmm. does give you a pretty clear path of what you want to do once you've chosen, if it's one, one counters or super friends or whatever. So maybe I'm, let me contradict myself a it's little bit. It's tough. There. I, I think the mana bases are just one uh, of the more daunting parts, especially if you're on the budget. It's hard to really build that super efficient mana base. So uh, from Josh and me to you all, two, three color is where, I, and that's generally where I build most of my decks as well. So Yeah, and definitely starting out, I think that's probably a, a good safe place to be. And you'll be able to stretch your wings in whatever direction you want. You're not going to yeah. feel like you're too restricted. Yeah. And then, of course, there's my favorite, which are five color decks. Woohoo! All the colors... Um, oh, and yeah, that yeah, allows yeah. you to play any card. That's what the thing I like about it. If you think of a card, you're get you're on Scryfall or Gather or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're like, you know, searching for that keyword or the that phrase, and it brings up a card, and you're like, that's going to be perfect in my strategy and my deck. Oh no, but it's not my colors. You never run into that if you're in a five color <laughs> deck. That's the thing I like about. It. That's the most Johnny thing, right? I know. It's so I found funny. this card. I play this card. Yeah, and it's great because there are often times when you're like, dang, if only I had access to that color because of these suite of cards. Well, five color commanders let you do that, um, and Watsi we've seen isn't afraid to print five colored commanders there have been a lot of options that cover the spectrum in terms of like big mana decks or like dragon tribal um or you know what josh likes to do is sort of like the commander might not matter just play a commander that has five colors in it you don't even need to cast them because you're all about what the five color brew it is that you made in your deck yeah, if a if a commander doesn't exist in your strategy, right? You you decide upon some strategy that just, they just didn't build a commander for yet, werewolves or something like that. Five color might be a way to go because if you're going to have to run a strategy where there's not synergy in your command zone, then you may as well have access to all the colors. Yeah, totally. Again, not something I would suggest for your early deck building, though. Yeah. Like we said, two and three colors is probably the way to go. But I will also reference you to uh, the sweet Kenrith brew that Mitch brought to oh, yeah. Extra Turns, which was a budget five-color deck, showing that it is definitely possible because you have green. Green makes it all possible. <laughs> all right. So as we were going through these, hopefully some of the options kind of spoke to you and sounded cool or like, oh, I want to do that. Make Write it down. Make sure that you write it down so that when you're deciding to build your deck later, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as you hit pause or stop on this podcast, you're probably going to be deck building, right? You want to be able to go back to that mental note and be like, yeah, yeah. you know, it sounds like I'm, I'm more of a, a Timmy. It, green and red sounds really fun. You know, that'll give you a direction to go in. Yeah, totally. Okay, so your head might be spinning at this point. Apologies. Uh, Now that we've talked about colors, color combinations, player archetypes, strategy archetypes, let's just go over some of the most popular deck types in Commander so you can get an idea of how these colors play into certain themes and how certain colors are going to add to certain strategies and how the lack of them sort of take away from that. Um, For instance, blue and black, you'll find, are more heavily into control, whereas red and white are more aggro and green's going to be more combo-tastic, etc., etc. Again, no hard, fast rules here. Okay, these are not going to be all the archetypes that exist. There are a lot in Commander, again, because it's casual. Anything you come up with is viable. We're going to go over sort of a lot of the major ones. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about the three archetypes of aggro, combo, and control, and then which one of them is most, you know, if we say it's control first, and then those, that idea of a deck is more on the control side, less on the aggro side, for instance. All right, so the first archetype is artifacts. Woo! Blue and red are very strong in the artifact colors. White and black also kind of play around in there. Green does not really have that many 
cares about artifact commanders. Yep. Yeah, and you know, artifacts are cards that you can play in every deck typically because they don't have any color, but the cards and the colors that can make the most use out of it would be blue and red. You'll notice that green is not on this list because green, again, thematically, they don't want artifacts as much. They um, want to destroy artifacts, but right. not necessarily like play around with them themselves. Yeah, and artifact decks, they're all about control. Either you're putting tons of pieces on the board and you're using them to combo out and control people by doing effects with them, or you're sacrificing them to create lots of value and then, you know, burn people people out with damn or you know hurt people or ping people or do other things like that or generate tons of mana so control and combo is definitely where artifacts are at and they're much less on the aggro side yeah i can't think of an aggro artifact deck <laughs> unless you count like equipment based decks right because they they're artifacts. their own archetype yeah yeah uh the next archetype which is like the most popular archetype i think insanely so yeah is what we call aristocrats and that's a reference to a certain cards that have the word aristocrat in the name but what aristocrats really means is you're purposefully sacrificing your own creatures usually over and over for value yeah you're gonna deal one damage to everyone and gain one life yourself so the colors that really tie well into this are black and red those are sort of the prototypical sacrifice creature colors but green and white you'll find are really good accompaniments and there will be a lot of great aristocrats type decks that have a combination of three of these yeah because green and white offer you a lot of graveyard recursion mm -hmm. so they're also good in these colors um aristocrats tend to be combo -y type decks they're going to set up some sort of board state where they're going to sacrifice the same thing but it's going to come back for whatever reason yeah over and over again or you know some every time they sacrifice a creature everybody else has to sacrifice creatures and so nobody else can have creatures only they can yeah they're sacrificing just for mana using that man to do other stuff um to that degree they are i think a little bit aggro because typically the way aristocrats decks win is by continually draining everyone of life and giving you that life and so once you get into that cycle you're able to really end the game a lot more quickly quickly because you're just continually pinging everyone down hmm. i might say they're more controlled than aggro just because they also tend to go in the direction of like we they don't care if their creatures die so they're right. just gonna like board wipe they don't care yeah that i guess aristocrats stuff. maybe it's so popular because it kind of lets you do any yeah of the any of the three them. yeah yeah all right the next is life gain life gain decks i think are very popular especially for uh, i would say newer players in general um because the idea of like gaining a ton of life and getting out of reach of aggro players seems pretty fun uh, the main colors for this, of course, white and black, because black is using life and white is gaining it. They make a really nice pairing. Uh, and then green also has a lot of life gain effects as well that help out here. Yeah, I think newer players are drawn towards life gain because when you're new to magic, the only scoreboard that you that makes sense to you is the life totals and what everybody's at. And yeah. so being ahead on that seems like you're winning. Yeah, you're not uh, playing golf here. You're trying to, <laughs> yeah. trying to keep it high. Once you sort of play for longer, you realize that life is kind of a resource. And when you win, if you're at two life or you're at 200 life, doesn't really matter as much. And life when gain... Winning. Yeah, and life gain tends to become less uh, attractive to you unless you're in specific strategies. Yeah, or you're abusing it with black and taking your life super low and then gaining it all the way back. Life gain is another one that can go in a lot of different buckets. Um, yeah. It's often control in that you are trying to drag the game out longer generally because that's what gaining a lot of life will do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can also be aggro though because a lot of these life gains decks care about, you know, how many creatures you've played, how many creatures are attacking. That's the way that you're gaining the life. Right. And, and also if you're in an aggro battle where you're like swinging at them to try and kill them, it's much harder for them to beat you with fi you know fire meets fire if you're gaining life simultaneously as you're doing that they kind of have to sit back on their heels and be like well they're too high a life total so i can't try and race them yeah the race is not possible and then there's also combo kills where yep. you bring your life really low and then you use a crazy ability to switch your life total with someone else and then you hit them with a creature or something so life gain definitely pretty flexible in that way yep 
Uh, and then is one of the most popular archetypes out there as well, probably right after Aristocrats, I would say mm-hmm. in my experience, is the Lands Matter or Landfall decks. These are decks that care about specifically lands entering the battlefield or how many lands you have. You need to play lands and magic no matter what color you're in. And so getting paid off for that, having cards that care about that, that give you rewards for just doing the thing you're always already going to do is inherently very powerful. Yeah, green is by far the most lands matter type uh, color, followed by black because there's a lot of graveyard recursion, uh, as well as red and blue. There's just lots of different ways to make lands matters decks because it, it cares about things entering the battlefield, and pretty much every color has cards that care about that. Um, but I'd say lands matter decks are probably mostly in the combo area. They are, I'm going to play this commander, do this ability, bring these two lands back. It's going to cause five things to happen. All of these creatures get bigger or I make all these tokens and then I'm going to swing out or sacrifice them for value. So the lands, because you, you're guaranteed to play one if you have one every turn uh, and they're really hard to interact with in commander as well. So combo seems to be pretty good because their pieces can't get disrupted as easily. Yeah, it's also pretty controlly because, again, they're going to drag the game long. They're incremental value type decks where just like as long as the game goes on, I'm going to continue to get value out of just playing lands. Whereas you, yeah. when you play your lands, it's just land. Nothing happens. But when I play mine, sometimes I get a token. Sometimes I take control of your creature. Sometimes I draw, you know, card, draw cards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next really popular deck type, and it's gotten only more popular because more cards have been printed to fit in it, is the wheel deck. So wheel decks are all about the idea of casting a spell that makes everyone discard their hand and then draw an arbitrary number of cards, usually up to seven or up to whatever the player with the most cards had when they discarded it. Um, blue and red, right? Uh, you could also say this is sort of like spells matters decks. Blue and red are all about the card. They, they have the cards that do this. Windfall, Wheel of Fortune. Um, they're able to make all the players discard their hands, but for, you're doing great because you have spells that can be cast from the graveyard or you have a commander that lets you cast those spells from the graveyard. Yard. So I say these are much more combo-y and control-y type uh, strategies. I mean, it's kind of like if the lands deck is paying you off for the th- the thing every deck's going to do, which is play lands. Mm-hmm. The wheel deck is paying you off for the other thing every deck's going to do, which is draw cards. Right. And they're trying to accelerate that by making everybody draw more cards or themselves or whatever. So they have all the cards that say when you draw a card or when your opponent draw a card, do some other thing, damage them, gain value, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So combo wheel decks often win through like two cards played in succession that just do a huge thing, cause everybody to just wheel their hand twice. But because they have, you know, other effects, hull breach or whatever oh, yeah. out, they say, oh, but at the end of all that, I'm the only one that has cards in my hand. Whoops. Yeah. Or I just made 10 insect tokens and they're yeah, all going to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get wrecked. Um, the other, the next archetype is big mana. These are decks that usually are heavy green or five color, and they're just trying to get out the hugest things. Yeah, the biggest, scariest things. You're playing a five color commander like Joda, which allows you to pay just white, blue, black, red, green to cast any spell. Um, or you're just playing green and ramping out with everything that you can to get 10 mana on turn four, you know? Yeah, big mana decks are very timmy, but also tend to win through combo. Mm-hmm. They tend to play two spells that are going to combo in some way that are cost a lot of mana, but they 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 combo together to sort of yeah. Instead of just be like, hey, those are huge creatures. No, their abilities interact in a way that kind of kills you right now. Yeah, I can swing out with this giant critter hoop behemoth or whatever it is. Um, or, you know, I play a Zenicar Resurgent and now every creature I cast with all my mana draws me a card, refills me up and puts me in a really superior position. Yep. But they can, big mana can also just kind of be Timmy aggro, I think. Yeah. You know, if you're Craig and he tends to play more in the way of like, I'm going to ramp and then play 
huge things and not necessarily combo you out. I'm just going to try and hit you with the Blightsteel Colossus one time. Yeah, which will see if get you the job done. It. Yeah, <laughs> It'll definitely get the job done. <laughs> Uh, the next archetype is a really popular one. It's plus one, plus one counters, or minus one, minus one counters. So the ability to sort of manipulate and put these little counters that buff up your creatures and then use those as fuel for something else. So the main colors for this are green, black, and white. Um, this is definitely a... Uh, I love that whenever Craig does it, he's always just like, yeah, you're just going... Like he's sort of tick-tacking. A lot of accounting. A lot of accounting. Yeah, you're like putting dice up and down. And it's fun if you're a combo player for sure. It definitely has control elements because maybe you're using those tokens to stop someone from doing something or you're playing like a Hapatra deck like Josh did and you're using minus one, minus one tokens to kill creatures and then give yourself tokens. Um, definitely a lot of interaction and a lot of moving things around and creating little value engines. A big damage deck is the next archetype. They've been playing around with this a lot more with cards like Fire Emancipation and Torbrand ways Lush. to sort of add multipliers to the normal amount of damage that things are doing red of course the big color in this black is usually sort of the next one mm -hmm. up um these are usually more aggro type decks but they can be combo-y they're usually going to do incremental damage in big increments big chunks yep and but sometimes they're just like play this card play that other card that is 90 damage to everything <laughs> you know that's the type of thing that yeah. a big damage deck can do all as well yeah or they swing uh, twice and all of a sudden your life total goes from 40 to 13 or something yeah or you just didn't see it coming they give double strike to the thing because of the damage multipliers you're dead when you thought you were safe yep they flash out something that doubles damage rough uh the next archetype is equipment so equipment lives solidly in the worlds of white and red or boros um this is definitely aggro uh, really at its core it's about playing creatures, suiting them up to be even scarier, or, you know, suiting up a bunch of creatures, or suiting up one creature that generates you value because it's got all this stuff stacked onto it. Um, it's trying to swing. Maybe that creature's unblockable. as double strike, whatever it is. When it hits you, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. it's huge. Yeah, and <laughs> usually they're trying to hit you sort of fast before yeah. you have a lot of resources available to you. And blockers and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, the next one is enchantments. You'll often hear people call it enchantress because... The Enchantress cards are a type of card that draw you cards every time you play an enchantment, mm -hmm. uh, and they tend to go in all these decks. Green and white are the strongest enchantment colors. Blue has recently sort of been thrown in there because of Estrid and yeah. some other things. Yeah. Um, enchantments are, I'd say, controly and combo-y. They're usually not aggro. They want the game to go long because their incremental value is going to happen because of all the enchantments. Because enchantments are kind of the cards in magic that kind of trigger off other cards the most. Yep. So a lot of your payoffs are in enchantments. So it'll be like, get this, these two or three enchantments set up. And now every time I do something, four other things happen. And if I can just do that for the rest of this game, there's no way you can beat me. Yeah. And, and there are very few cards that players play that say destroy all enchantments. Whereas there are a lot that say destroy all creatures. So you're also really protecting yourself with this strategy generally. Now, if you're an enchantment based aura deck, I can see that being the Voltron aggro version right. of this. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. just don't see that that often. Yeah. And that's sort of similar to equipment, right? You're just yeah. buffing up creatures and trying to hit people for a lot of damage. Uh, the next one is tokens. Uh, one of my personal favorite, uh, definitely in the realms of green and white and then red and black and pretty much every every color can make tokens but green is definitely the one that abuses them the most um with white with anthem effects to make them all bigger as well uh the idea behind this is pretty easy you're poop you're pooping out lots of little things and then you're using ways to abuse them either they can tap for mana now or you're putting a plus and plus encounter every single time a new creature enters the battlefield and they become massive and now they can swing in for a huge force um or you play single artifact that makes them all fly with double strike um you're trying to kill people with just lots of little things and going wide 
Yeah, this is the dessert strategy, right? You get as many creatures onto the board as possible. And that you usually do that by playing singular cards that make multiple creatures. Yep. Uh, the next one is Planeswalker slash Super Friends deck. So these are decks that care about the card type Planeswalkers. Um, not the cheapest of decks to build because Planeswalkers tend to be a little bit more expensive. And unlike a lot of these other decks... Planeswalker decks actually don't tend to have like a ton of Planeswalkers in them. Like your enchantment deck probably has 30 plus enchantments in it. Yeah. Your super friends Planeswalkers deck probably has 15 Planeswalkers in it because they need so much support. They're very powerful once they get going, but you can't just play a Planeswalker out onto an empty board because it will (laughs) usually just die. So you need to have a bunch of other support cards. Um, But they're, I'd say Planeswalker decks are... Super Friends deck are often multicolored. They're almost yeah. never singular colored. Uh, the best a, color for them is, I think, by far green because it has a card called Doubling Season and they have Garouk who is able to untap lands and just generally very powerful Planeswalkers exist in green. But five colors, all of the colors have really great ones. So Yeah, it's probably not mono green. It probably just has green and a couple of other colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can be Super Friends and you're in Bant or you can be Super Friends and you're in Naya. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I find that Planeswalker decks typically are more on the controly side too because yes. if you play a Planeswalker and then the board wipe well ho ho your planeswalker it sticks around got them they tend to be very controlling uh next up we have blink decks so blink decks are all about an ability that is sort of referenced to as flicker which is if you have a a permanent on the battlefield and you are able to blink it it goes woo out of existence and then back on the battlefield you can then use the card again because if it says when it enters the battlefield do x then great good job you get that value again so blink is very much in white blue and green uh there's a lot of creatures that have enter the battlefield abilities or cards that say exile this card and then return to the battlefield um and so blink is about generating tons of value doing sort of cool combo-y things and setting up really impressive board states that just generate a ton of value yeah blinking is just a way to get sort of free things happening where you don't cost you cards right that's what you're trying to set up a way that like oh at the end of every turn this is going to happen it's just a machine that's running it doesn't cost me any cards out of my hand in fact it it draws me cards yeah and it draws me a card and destroys a thing or draws me a card and puts a land into play or whatever it does uh yeah so it's that incremental value thing Uh, the next one is graveyard strategies these are decks that literally want to dump as much of their library into their graveyard as possible because their graveyard, they've set up their deck in a way that their graveyard is not mean a card is lost. It means they have access to it. Yeah, it's like an extension of their hand. Yeah, so they've got all the cards that sort of say, oh, get stuff out of your graveyard and use it in these ways. So they just want their graveyard to be full because it's almost like having their hand be full. Mm -hmm. Uh, Black is definitely the biggest graveyard color. Green uh, also plays around the graveyard a lot. White has a lot of recursion, especially for sort of low CMC permanence. These are the three colors that like the graveyard the most. Um, this is also often a combo-y type deck, a lot of synergies, because yeah. a lot of times it's like, I just got to get enough stuff in my graveyard till I have these two cards or three cards in there, and now I know I can get this this engine going or this combo going. Yeah, now that I have these cards here, I'm going to exile these five to pay for this one. I'm going to use this card to dredge out more cards and just go in these little cycles. Yep. Uh, the next is Voltron, which is a reason why we talked about a commander doing 21 damage in the beginning of this podcast, because Voltron is looking to kill you with one single creature, typically the legendary creature commander. 
and just beat you down with it. Get you hit you for 21 damage, or maybe it's so big it doesn't even care. It's just going to get you down to a lower life total. Another player will finish you off. But Voltron's all about strapping up one really big commander with some crazy cool stuff. And this is pretty much available to all colors because you'll find a commander in pretty much every color and color combination that has a high power and toughness and can smack in for a lot of damage. Probably has some text that says, you know, when something happens, it gets double strike or it, right. it gets extra power somehow. Yeah. It's a reference to the 80s uh, cartoon which was basically yeah. a bunch of small robot cats coming together <laughs> to form one giant robot. And uh, those this, are your equipment and your yeah. enchantment auras and all that stuff. Yeah, and definitely an aggro strategy. It's going to oh, want to yeah. get out there and punch people out before they really get going. Definitely. The next one is another very popular one and very popular with new players. And I would say this is one of my suggestions for uh, one of the best places to start your deck building career is with tribal decks. Yeah. Tribal decks can be in all colors all strategies, but they care about the creature type on each creature. So below the art for the creature, it will say, you know, creature slash elf, zombie, goblin, dragon. There are tons of different ones. And then you play a bunch of cards that just care about how many elves you have or how many dragons you can attack with, or whenever mm -hmm. you play a zombie, this is going to happen. That's what we call payoff cards, right? We've been, if we referred to it for lands. We've referred to yep. it for wheel decks, for one-one counters. This is just that, but for a specific tribe of creatures. Um, and the reason I like this for newer players is that it's a little bit easier to narrow down and find their correct cards because it's a lot easier to just be like, show me all the elves that have ever <laughs> existed in magic yep. than it is to say, show me all the cards that care about if I draw a card or my opponent draws a card in the history of magic. That's just harder to, f to, to sort of parse. Yeah, and the cool thing about tribal again is if, you know, if you're mono red goblins, you're more aggro. If you're mono black zombies, maybe you're more controller combo. So it's really flexible. And the nice thing is, is that the cards that synergize with the cards are often the same creature type. So a zombie lord that gives everything plus one, plus one happens to be a zombie too. So it interacts with these cards. And so I think it's easier to just automatically build synergies in, which is why, again, we recommend this definitely if you're just, just venturing out and really love a specific creature type. And these decks can be very, very powerful. Elf, oh, yeah. Goblin, zombie, uh, sliver. These decks are all tribal decks and they all kick beat butt. face. Yeah, they, <laughs> they will all mess you up. Uh, the next is a new kind of tribal. It's keyword tribal. So we've seen that Wizards has been giving a lot more attention to, oh, what if creature? What if it mattered that your creature had death touch? Or what if it mattered if your creature had menace? Or menace, as we say it on the, the <laughs> podcast. Or flying. So the colors of these types of decks will depend on the keywords. Uh, but this really also can encompass all strategies. Um, they're, typically, because it's keywords, it'll help more on the attacking side because menace is hard to block or flying is hard to block. But it's cool because there's a lot more support coming for this. And it lets you, I think really customize what you want to do. It's like, I love flying and I want this to be a flying tribal deck, but I want to only have it be birds or only have it be, you know, weird uh, artifact creatures or whatever it is. Yeah, this is a cool new thing they're doing a lot more of. So I could see this being another thing like tribal that's a good place to start uh, in the future. Flying specifically, I think, yeah. already has a lot of support, but maybe Menace and Death Touch aren't quite there yet. Mm -hmm. Maybe wait a year or two. We'll see. Uh, and the last one is... A really unique archetype that I think only exists in Commander because of the multiplayer aspect of uh, the format. It's Group Hug. Yeah. And this is usually in green and or blue. White might be in there. Often it's five color. But what it really wants to do is pretend like it's friends with everybody it's helping everybody give mm -hmm. stuff to people. Oh, I'm going to let everybody draw cards or we're going to help everybody get more man on the table. 
but secretly it's going to eventually take advantage of whatever it was that it was helping quote unquote people yeah. with and make that flip that on them and be like, ha just kidding. <laughs> now you're going to take damage for every card you draw. Or now like y- you thought I was being nice, but now I've set up a board state where no one can attack me. Or you'll be pure of heart and be like, and now I'm going to allow you to win because that's how I feel. Hmm. Uh, I think group hug has elements that could be also put into any of the archetypes we just talked about, because there are cards that will be like tempting offer. Hey, I'm going to go search for my lands. Are you going to go do it too? Or I'm going to pay certain man into this. You can also pay man into it. So group hug is just really incentivizing group play finding ways to bring players together and maybe have them contribute to something or you know be restricted by something that affects the whole group yeah it is building your deck in a way that allows you to help other players get resources if they need to Mm -hmm. and then you know playing into the political aspect of commander where you really can try to extract like favors from them in exchange for you know hey i'll give you a couple extra mana this turn in response will you just attack that player or destroy that thing or not attack me yeah not that usually be like couple more man i'll take it yeah yeah <laughs> um of course we just mentioned a bunch of archetypes they're not all of them and not all decks are made equal um because some decks are just going to be more capable than other ones of achieving certain things and that's just how it is some decks are going to be more adaptable that can go into a control or a aggro or a combo shell some decks are going to be more restrictive so i think the main thing to know here is that most archetypes are going to be able to get to a 7 or an 8 out of the 10 power scale. 10 being like super top tier competitive. And we found that for the most part, that's where the average of commander players lies. 7 and 8. 7 and 8 in terms of how powerful their decks are. So really almost anything here is viable and there's always going to be ways to mitigate sort of the downsides of what the colors you're in and what you're restricted of doing. So the, the color restrictions will in some part dictate your deck's power, but a lot of it, again, is up to you as the builder and up to you in terms of how powerful you actually want to make it um and i would say don't you know if you're brand new don't stress about making the most competitive deck together either because it's not going to be as fun necessarily unless that's really your jam yeah i would encourage people to not worry too much about how powerful their deck's going to be when they're deciding what deck to build you know approaching it from the standpoint of like what deck should i build well what's the most powerful possible deck let's (laughs) build that is probably not the way to go at, at at first i would encourage people to be like what sounds like the most fun things to do that speak to who I am as yeah. a gamer and as a player and then build a deck based on that. That's generally going to work out just fine. Because a deck's an investment, right? Yeah. And you want to invest in something that when you play it, everyone's gonna not going to go, I don't ever want to play against that again. That wasn't that fun. <laughs> it might be good to talk to your play group just to make sure that it falls in line, especially when you're a new player with, you know, what the play group generally does. Or if you don't have a play group, you know, whatever happens... Um, at your LGS or whatever. Uh, I know a lot of people are playing on spell table now. Spell table does tend to be a little bit higher on the power scale, I'd say, in the the eights and nines. So maybe just like watching some streams and kind of getting a a feel for like what is mostly played out there will kind of give you a ballpark or a target to aim for. Yeah, and the discords that organize these games too will have a lower power realm. Like these are the battle cruiser decks just trying to cruise along and do big splashy things. Here are the competitive decks. So you choose what group you're going to play with. All right, Um, Jimmy. So we've gone through the color the player types the archetypes what now well at this point i think you should have a pretty solid answer for what you want to do in magic what strategies appeal to you what colors you may naturally be drawn to or challenged by um and you might start beginning to piece together what your deck is going to be okay i definitely want to have white and red and now i'm just want to figure out the third color it's like you know what? i really like the aspects of what green is so i'm going to make it obson white black and uh, whatever you know whatever it is um that's not white and red white red and green is naya so apologies um 
And, you know, you now just need to get out there and start looking at the different colors and archetypes and the different commanders that are available. And I think in general, you know, especially if you're a new player, the first thing to focus on is just do what you find is fun. Don't worry about so much if it's going to be too strong or too weak or, you know, just build for the sake of building and definitely take advice from people if they're willing to offer it. Um, Don't be afraid to ask for it either. And for our resource, the thing that I almost, when I want to build a deck, almost always, I just go to edhrec.com. It's like my first place to go because you can sort by the colors, you can sort by the themes, just kind of like what we did in the episode here, right? You were like, I want to build a token deck that has red and green in it. Well, great. You can go sort by token or go look by the colors or just Google those words and you'll find lots of options. If you Google, if you Google token red, green, MTG, one of the first things will be EDH rec yeah. at the top. Click that one and it'll bring up all the gruel or red and green commanders that are in the token strategy. And now you're just looking through those and being like, you know, A, B, C, D, F, G, which one of those do I want to choose? Which mm-hmm. one looks the coolest? And then you click on one of those and it'll start giving you suggestions of cards. And uh, I think, you know, you could just look at the suggestion it gives you and build that deck, but I think it'll be more fun to sort of pick and choose yourself. And we all have restrictions about what cards we have in our collection and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's going to be a big part of it. Uh, but that's just a really good place to start. I agree with Jimmy. I almost never build a deck where EDH rec isn't open. It's not the only tool I, I use, but it's just a tool that I use a lot. Yeah. And there's no shame in looking up what other people have done, asking for help. If you're on our discord being like, Hey, I want to build this, or this is what I'm sort of aiming towards any suggestions. Because again, magic 22,000 cards, no one's going to be angry at you for looking at a couple of things online to help you build your process. No one can just build a deck out of thin air using their brains, unless there's some sort of, you know, magical, very magic loving person, <laughs> like magic maybe savant. Gavin or someone could do that or a savant. Yeah. In general, like I barely remember what cards do. I'm like, there was that card and it did this thing and they're you know people in the office would be like you just did the set review for that set last week (laughs) how would you forget but what's it called again (laughs) how much does it cost oh no that's in green i thought it was in red okay forget it yeah yeah so i mean jimmy and i build at least 15 decks a year or so because Mm -hmm. of this show and game nights and we use uh, you know online resources like EDH Trek all the time yeah I'll have like 10 tabs open and a couple of tapped out lists a list on MTG Goldfish a list on uh, some recommended cards in EDH Rec and just sort of like mind meld and just feel it out you know yeah all right all right. It's not the end all be all. Not every deck deck that you're gonna make is gonna be your last deck. So don't be so, you know, locked into like oh Hopefully none of the decks you're gonna make are gonna be like your last deck. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, players will often disassemble decks that don't work or rebuild them or be like, you know what, I like the blue black shell, now I'm gonna add a red to it, change the commander and move some pieces around. So don't be afraid, you know. You will have staples like Command Tower and Soul Ring in every deck, and you'll know that those cards are always gonna stay the same. So keep this in mind when you're building and you know, your decks are gonna improve over time. So you don't need to make a masterpiece out the gate. Yeah, don't think of it as like, I'm going to build this deck and it's going to be perfect. Think of it as like a work in progress at all times. Yeah. And I'm just going to do version one of this thing and get out there and play it. And playing it will teach me a lot about yeah. what I need to do to it. And that'll help you inform your decisions. And, you know, oftentimes, like you build that deck, if you, if you haven't played it, it's not even worth really tweaking it because you just don't have the information. So sometimes mm-hmm. if I've built a deck and I haven't been able to play, I'll build a second deck Rather than tweak the first deck until I've been able to play it a few times. Yeah, and you can also use tools online to goldfish hands and just see, okay, what does a, a nice seven-card hand look like? Oh, okay, maybe I do need to add more lands or maybe I need to do this or that. Um, so yeah, don't be afraid to retool, reset, or even reboot decks that you've already built. This is a journey, and every deck builder is different, um, so have fun with it. 
Yeah, the first step on that journey is just trying it too. I know a lot of people get yeah. really intimidated and they they just don't know how to jump into it. Just do it. Don't worry if it's successful yeah. failure or failure. Just try it because after you've done it the first time, you'll be more confident the second time. Yep. All right, that's going to do it for our introduction to Deck Building 2021 edition. Woo! To the listeners, <laughs> what tips and tricks do you utilize out there when you're creating a new deck, when you were creating your first deck? Ah. Uh, yeah, if, you wanna, if you're a veteran player, or even if you're not, if you're, if you're newer and you want to reply in the comments, I think that can help some people out. You know, there's a video we're making so that we can point to it for a number of years as a starting point because we get asked all the time by new players sort of how to begin. Mm-hmm. So if you have advice for newer players in this realm, I'm sure they'd be happy to hear it. Or please recommend them to this video. And if they're looking to buy cards, please also recommend them to go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone that's our affiliate link if you're going to be buying magic cards especially if you want to for instance just buy the whole deck in one go and have it shipped from one reliable place can't recommend cardkingdom.com slash command zone more they have amazing customer service they're also really good at grading their cards so if they say something is near mint it is near mint they'll ship it out to you really fast great customer service i may have already said that but yeah use the use the affiliate link you're going to buy magic cards anyway for yourself or for someone else at cardkingdom.com slash command zone Call time. Pre-orders. Oh, yeah. It looks so sweet. Those, right on oh. the horizon. The art is sweet. The showcase Viking. The showcase Viking yeah. frames. It oh, looks man. so cool. So if you want to get your hands on called time, you know, that's the great thing about Card Kingdom as well. I don't like to order online for the release weekend from a lot of different places because sometimes you do that and you don't get your booster box till like two weeks Ooh. after the set's been out. Rough. Card Kingdom gets you this stuff faster than anybody. Yep. Uh, and then once you have that stuff, we keep saying it, but it is true. Ultra Pro, they are the best company with the best products to protect your game pieces. They have the Pro Gloss Eclipse sleeves. You want to put your cards in good sleeves because you want them to stay in good condition, Mm -hmm. maintain their value. Who knows? You might want to trade them in, buy list them to Card Kingdom someday to turn them into other cards that you want. Smart. If you want to do that, the cards got to be in good condition because that keeps them more in demand. Best way to keep them in good condition, use Eclipse sleeves from Ultra Pro. Use Satin Towers. Uh, best or, deck box in the game. Yeah, or Mythic Collection deck boxes from Ultra Pro. They make those really cool new. They have the hand stitching or whatever. I don't know if it's by hand, but <laughs> they have that like nice, really classy yeah. stitching on the Mythic Collection. Really cool stuff. They have classy stuff. They have great stuff. They have sturdy stuff. Ultra Pro. And... Also, you get peace of mind when you're using Ultra Pro products. You are supporting all of our content. Yeah, especially if you're going to take that new deck you just built into your first tournament when it's safe. You're going to want to keep it safe. Yeah, Satin Tower or Mythic Collection for sure. Yeah. Okay, moving on to the end step. Uh-oh. Oh, we talk about one. something. Oh, perfect. Great. We totally had something. Josh, take it away. Where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. So this end step is in two parts Oh. because there's a cool tie-in to our content. Okay. So there's a Netflix series. I started out as a YouTube series. It is called Cobra Kai. Oh, yes. <laughs> so Cobra Kai, it started out on YouTube, came on into Netflix, and then season three, so there's two seasons, I think, on YouTube. Yeah. It was YouTube Red. Yep. Um, Netflix picked it up. It did very, very well. They've A third season just came out, like, at the time you're watching this, it came out on January 1st or whatever. weeks ago, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it basically is the continuing storyline from the Karate Kid movie from the 80s. The original, but the, the characters have all grown up now. Right. Not the Will Smith one, although Will Smith, I think, is a producer on this show. Anyway. Oh, funny. Uh, yeah. Ralph Macchio, who is the original Karate Kid, he's in his 40s now. Johnny Lawrence, who was the bully from the original Karate Kid, is in his 40s now. And they still have a rivalry, and they're still doing karate stuff. But now it follows a bunch of kids that they're sort of training. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a really good show. Um and the really exciting part about this show is that one of the characters on the show, uh, the character of Hawk, who is the guy with the mohawk, uh-huh. 
his the actor is named Jacob Bertrand, and he actually contacted us a number of months ago because he's a magic player. Yeah, a commander player too, and he had gotten some of his castmates into it as well. Super into commander. Yeah, I think I'd worn a Cobra Kai T-shirt. Oh, on nice. one of the episodes of the podcast or something, and he literally messaged me on Twitter <laughs> and was like, "Hey, I noticed you wore a Cobra Kai shirt. I'm in Cobra Kai." Can I come on game nights? <laughs> <laughs> and it took a while, a pandemic and everything like that. Um, obviously, we're, we're obeying like COVID testing procedures and things like that. And he's local, very importantly. And he's local. So there was no traveling involved. Uh, and we had to, you know, wait in between productions and all kinds of stuff. But for the Kaldheim episode of Game Nights, which comes out on February 3rd, we never announced this stuff this early, but right. it's very exciting because Jacob's like currently on Netflix in a new series. Uh, he's going to be on the show. And so, yeah. In fact, we probably will, uh, will will figure out some scene that we can show if you're watching the YouTube video of, you know, some one single shot from that Game Nights episode. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy's no joke. He plays a lot of magic. He he watches a lot of Game Nights. He was quoting different Game Nights episodes to us the entire time. Yeah, true actor. I loved it. Yeah. And also like he knows his stuff, so mm-hmm. he didn't he did not come to mess around. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great episode. I can't wait for people to see it and the Kaldheim cards are also totally sweet. And Cobra Kai Really good, really good series. I haven't quite finished season three yet, but it's... Have you watched it, Jimmy? Yeah, I've seen the first season. You would think it's like, oh, what a gimmick, right? Really? YouTube Red, they're going to pay for this? And then you watch it, you're like, that was was cute. That was good. I mean, it's very high quality. It just feels like an HBO show or something, right? Yeah, like, the writing is good too. Yeah, the writing is really, really good. There's there's callbacks to the earlier movies, but you don't have to have seen them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because I've watched it with my nieces and nephews who really enjoy the show. They don't even know about the earlier movies at oh, all. Oh, funny. They think the Will Smith one is like the... the <laughs> They're like, yeah. where's Will Smith? Where's Jaden? Where's Jackie Chan? <laughs> yeah, so definitely check out Cobra Kai on uh, Netflix and that'll also prepare you for Jacob's uh, yeah. episode of, of Game Nights that's coming up. Yeah, you can send him some love. He's on Twitter and Instagram as well. Yeah, we'll put his uh, info up on screen here and in, in the show notes if you want to check it out. Uh, big thanks to our editing graphics and logistic team. It's Craig Blanchett, Manton Lung, Ashwin Rose, Lady Danger, Jake Boss, Josh Murphy, Alfred Destaka, Patrick Nahn, Sam Waldo, Arthur Metacraft, and Jordan Pridgen. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the Living Card animations that begin each of our shows and does a lot of the uh, window animations that sit behind us on set. He did yeah. do this Steam Vents. It's very cool. Yeah, you can find Jeffrey on Twitter at LivingCardsMTG. Yeah, people actually randomly always ask me, like, where do you get those awesome screens from? They're just TVs turned sideways, but the magic is in the animations that Sam Waldo makes for us as well as Jeffrey in the past. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. Good luck with mm. your uh, first commander deck or your second or your third. Hopefully, we could uh, give you a little bit of help. Yep. And uh, be sure to send this to uh, an episode to someone that may be looking into building commander deck for the first time. I think it's a great place to start out. And thank you all again for watching. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs>